Welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We'll talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us back in the studio or on your airwaves, wherever you're joining us. We're just grateful to be with you. Airwaves. Super. Nice. Yeah. The World Wide Web. (laughs) I think about that because if I just remember driving all the time when I worked um, up on the other side of LA and it was, I was, I talked to my grandparents way more on the phone, but then I also listened to like audiobooks or podcasts way more because I was in the car alone sometimes for a longer periods of time than I'm alone now ever. And so never airwaves. Alone. <laughs> and so if you're listening there and you're not seeing us, we're grateful you're listening. If you're listening and seeing us, grateful you're here for that too. Today we're jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and this is kind of one of those books that people probably don't want to spend a lot of time in because there's things maybe you don't want to hear it's confusing and that is definitely where we want to be. We're going we're grabbing the bull by the horn. And so Paul's talking really he's talking about corporate worship and how we can continue to honor God whether it's uh, with our singing or with how we're presenting ourselves, we want to make sure that the service um, mm-hmm. maintains its focus on God. And how can we do that? How can we organize and make sure that we're turning the attention back to him? It's not on different people yeah. groups. Because if you think back to the context and what's going on, these are a bunch of new folks to the gospel that are coming in thinking, oh, you know, I can I can do what I want when I want. Food with- sacrifice with <laughs> idols. I can sleep with my stepmom. I can exactly interrupt so- the worship service. Paul's got a relevant word for them yeah. and a really, really timely word for us too. So yeah. we're going to dive in together. You, so the, the controversial word is this word head. Like what does it mean oh, yeah. as he's talking about <laughs> head and who's head of whom and how does this translate to, to us today? So do you want to read it? Yeah. Take off the first part? I do. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the tra- traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So there's that word head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if we actually break down the meaning of the word head, this is something that's been debated that people have, even now, hold different views on. And if you look at the context, Paul is most likely referring to how men and women need to be distinct and how they need to continue to maintain their distinction in corporate worship. So in life, but then also when it comes to how we actually honor and reflect the image of God together as distinct, valued beings. Um, We don't want to confuse anyone as to whether they're a man or woman. And so that's why we go into these specific examples of what it looks like, Mm -hmm. um, how we can honor and how kind of like that's the culture, like honor, shame culture when we, when we, when he talks about this. Yeah, that's the first point he makes, honor, shame. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's going to continue and talk about the relationship between a man and woman. So not only in how you're distinct, how do, how we honor God in that, but then also how we honor God in our relationship and then really how this, just the nature of things. That's how Mm. we can honor God too. Yeah. So here's where we pick back up at verse four. He says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's Mm. the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off. If it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Hmm. When you and I think about head, like being the head of the company or the head of the household as Americans, we're thinking about power. 
that's being exerted from the top sure. down. Sure, yeah, right? I think and, that's accurate. You know, that's, that's the head. And when you go to the Middle East, though, and in Jesus' time, in the time of the early church, it was far much more of a focus on honor and shame of the family name. Sure. A lot of people were fishermen for generations or locksmiths for generations, and their reputation was everything. Because mm-hmm. word of mouth, they didn't have Yelp. People couldn't leave reviews. It's like, what do they think about right. and how are people talking about us? Mm-hmm. That's where that old line comes from. Like, my good name's at stake, so you better... <laughs> You know, do well or represent the family well. Mm -hmm. When you look at verses four and five, it says that it brings great dishonor in other parts of the world if men dress like women and women dress like men. And right now there is that piece of the culture where here at America, there's very um, there's an androgynous push and agenda to. To, to neutralize everything so that we just look like sure. people. Like, wait, what makes a male a male? What makes a female a female? And so at this point in church service, Paul is saying, if a newcomer comes into church and they're looking at the back of your heads as you're sitting up in the pews up front or you're in the chairs mm-hmm. at somebody's house, and if they have a, a, a hood on their head and then they take it off and they find out oh, it's a man, right? he's confused. Mm-hmm. What is this? Is this compatible with Christianity? Why is that man acting like a woman? Right. And the flip side is if a woman lets her hair down or if she shaves her head, she's like, why is she trying to look like a dude? Mm -hmm. Or is she a temple prostitute? And is she worshiping the demons of the temple and then coming to worship Jesus? How am I supposed to make sense of all these things? And so what is happening here in verses seven and eight now, he says, a man ought to not cover his head since he's the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. And he's just talking about creative order here. Mm-hmm. Not who's better or worse or who's more valuable. That's not the, the point. He's going back to creation. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. What Paul is saying here is that there mm-hmm. must be differences between males and females. Yeah. Especially in the worship service. Because both the male and the female complement each other right. to help us know who God is and what it was made to be made in the image of God. Yeah. So spiritually, there are different roles that men are supposed to play in the church. Mm-hmm. There are different positions that they should lead to help shepherd the community. Right. There are specific roles and, and responsibilities women are given spiritually. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about who can cook or who can work or who can balance a checkbook. Not that people even use checkbooks anymore, but who can, <laughs> who can pay off the credit card online, <laughs> venture capital credit card. He's, anybody can do that. You figure out those things. But he says when it comes to spirituality, there are distinct roles for the male and distinct roles for the female. And again, he's not saying men are superior to women. He's just saying men were made first. They have a job. They're called to be distinct from women. Women came from men. They're also made in the image right. and the glory of God. This is a beautiful gift. Don't confuse people. Yeah. Just stay within your distinctive. So I think this is culturally adaptive. If you go to different places, like in one book we read like 100 years ago, pink was a masculine color. Blue was a feminine color. So at that Mm -hmm. time, you know, guys could rock pink and it's Mm -hmm. normal and girls would rock blue and that's cool. Right. Today, guys should not be in high heels. Guys should not be rocking mascara. That's confusing. And wearing purses and stuff like that. Like that, that's confusing because you're blurring the lines now of like, what's a male and what's a female. Hmm. At the end of the day, there needs to be distinctives. They might be culturally different without compromising the heart of the scriptures and the gift of the gospel. Yeah. And the goal is that so we would know God right. as God has revealed himself to us. Mm-hmm. And he keeps going, if that's okay. Can I keep yes. going? Yes, no, you do. Verse no 10, go. 11, 12, he says, it's for this reason that a woman, now he's saying she ought to have authority over her own head hmm. because she's valuable because of the angels. 
Nevertheless, the Lord in the Lord, women, is not independent of man, and nor is man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so also man now is born of woman, meaning we, we're right. codependent. Yes. We are interdependent. We need each other. Mm-hmm. We play vital roles in the kingdom. And he's saying in verse 10 here, if you want the image of God to be fully displayed, you need males looking like males, females looking like females. And then it talks about angels. That's kind of different. He's saying, yeah. remember that you're worshiping not with just the physical people around you. Yeah. Again, you're interacting with the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And this is huge because they're looking at the church. Ephesians right. 4, 5 talks about how the spirit realm is looking at the church to see the manifold wisdom of God yeah. unveiled before them so they will know God, know his plan, and know and understand what's happening. So again, verse 11, they're interdependent upon each other. We need each other. Like, right. We physically need each other. If a baby's born, baby's not coming out of a man. I don't care what anybody says today. It's got to come out of a woman. And, and the moms are given the bodies to feed and nourish and take care of the babies. Right. So we need women. Women need men. And this is a beautiful gift that, again, gives honor and reflection back to God's part of God's design. Yeah. I think of also grandpa used to say this before we keep going. He used to say that like Jesus didn't come to a company. He didn't come to a sports team. He came to a family. He came to a mom and a dad and he came that that might actually be um, like home base nonetheless. And so if you look back, this is one of those themes that isn't just talked about in Corinthians. This isn't just talked about in the New Testament. This is this is talked about throughout all of Scripture, even going all the way back to Genesis, like Paul's doing, where he's saying, "Recall that this happened, and then this happened. Man was made, and then woman was made." So if you go back, this wasn't something where you know they they were made in the exact same way. There's intention, and there's a divine design for a man, and there's a divine design for a woman. That Paul's recalling, bringing us all the way back to Genesis so that we can remember. We can mm. remember now in our time, but also for the time of Corinthians. So he says in, in 13, he kind of continues with a little bit um, a little bit of the same language. Yeah. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things, so the very nature of things, teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor nor do the churches of God. And so there's a symbolic translation mm. here. Um, talk about that, Clark. Yeah, basically, he's just saying you need to have distinctions so that people know yeah. who they're talking to. If it's a male, it's clearly a male. If yeah. it's female, it's clearly a female. This, this is probably a conversation that we have to have at another time to unpack it because it's such a big part of our cultural moment right now. It is, yeah. Where it, the, the androgynous movement is trying to um, confuse people. So right. I'm not, again, saying not not that women can't have their heads shaved, but when women have their heads shaved, they're wearing a Nike hoodie with Jordans. The neck is covered up, so you can't tell if there's an Adam's apple there or not. There's uh, the way that the picture is edited. You're like, right. am I looking at a male or a female right now? They the the movement wants confusion. They sure. want to erase the distinctions. And mm-hmm. so here in the church, but then also in the world, we have to continue to fight for right. what does it mean to be a godly male? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a godly female? Mm-hmm. It is basically what it's getting at. And I, this, again, is just coming back to like, how do you, <laughs> the problem here is that the Corinthian church doesn't even know how to gather together for worship. Right. Is like the problem. <laughs> so you're sacrificing food to idols. Now you got men looking like women, women looking like men. This isn't yeah. helpful. And now you're all abusing the Lord's Supper, getting drunk on it. Yes. Like, <laughs> That's where it keeps going. <laughs> we've all got our problems, but Corinthians, it's like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, this Paul place says is that. a hot mess. What does he say? He says in verse 17, in the following uh, directives, I have no praise for you. 
for your meetings do more harm than good. And so I do want to say there though, because we think that there's no, we don't think that there's going to be consequences where it's like, no, I'm just going to like, that's kind of the language, the age of authenticity, which is a whole nother conversation with philosophical language. But, you know, if I do what's true and best for me, if I'm my most authentic self, well, then that's what's going to be like mm. the most honoring to, you know, our society and our culture. And that's just not the way of Jesus. And Paul's saying, you're you're doing more harm, yeah. not even just to yourself, but to uh, we know in the supernatural and in the spirit realm, but in, and then also in community around you too. This is this is doing more harm than good. So he's he jumps into it here in the verses 18. Do you want to read or yeah, just go, go to worship? Uh, like, go to verses 20, worship. 21 and 22. Those are more helpful. Great. 21 and 22. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. What? Yeah. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So you imagine people rolling up to church on communion Sunday with their own Thanks. coolers. Like, got my coolers, <laughs> got my steak, yeah, got my homemade bread. Right. Let's yes. do this. And the next thing you know, the guy behind you is sloshed at yes. the 9 o'clock service. And it's not going well. Yes. While poor people come in who don't have the means to buy food for themselves are sitting there eating crumbs off the ground. While the guy in the back's drunk. Yeah. He's like, this is chaos. This is not a representation of what God's supper is supposed to be about. So yes. if you look at verses 17, 18, 20, 33, and 34, mm -hmm. he's saying, be the church. Right. Be united. Mm -hmm. Come together and look out for each other, please. And now when it comes to communion, some of the more important scriptures we have are verses 23 through 26, because this is where yeah. we get our communion liturgy. Yeah. Do you want me to read them? I would love for you. It to sounds, read. I might have memorized. <laughs> it yeah. sounds just like Sunday morning. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance mm. of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah. This is where we get our communion liturgy. I know. I'm actually getting teary reading it. I just think that's what Paul's heart is here, where he's saying you, by not living who God made you to be as a man and a woman, you have made a mockery of God. I am emotional reading this. That's okay. It's I know, I'm just surprised by it. But we do this every Sunday, and I'm always so, not every Sunday, we do this when we take communion, and I'm so blessed to do it as a body. And that's what Paul's saying. Can you not remember that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you belong to each other? Mm -hmm. That this is something that we that we do out of, not out of being the head, like you're saying, um, to lord things over other people, but out of submission and out of servitude to one another. And yeah. so that's Paul's heart for this. He's saying, you know, we think of it as maybe like a judgmental or if we were, if you're taking this as a word of condemnation, then it's wrong. You shouldn't take it like that. You should take this as a word of conviction, of loving conviction from Paul saying, hey, you were made in the image of God to be a man and a woman. Jesus did this on this night so that you could live into the mm. reality that his relationship with him now and forever that's important. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens as uh, the, the chapter continues here, he's basically saying, like, don't drink judgment on yourselves. Because when you misuse and misrepresent the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whether it's the union of God to his people, like with marriage, 
or you misrepresent the washing away of sins like in the baptism or misrepresent what God's doing through the gift of communion, you're um, throwing mud on the most precious gift ever given in the history of the creation. And so when it says here, like don't, everyone ought to examine themselves when they eat the bread and drink the cup in verse 28 so they don't bring judgment on themselves. He's saying this is a great opportunity for us to revisit God's grace that's come to us so that we could repent of our sins receive God's grace, and then give it to other people. And for us at Emmanuel, we, we again take this seriously. There are some times we forget, but we always try to put it in the bulletin the week before. Like, hey, next week we're taking communion. And then the day of, during our liturgy, we, we always try really hard to create space for people to repent so that we can come before the Lord and then enter into the communion time with a clear conscience, understanding that we have been forgiven, that Jesus has died and come back to life, and that there's grace to those who will repent and believe. And so the Heidelberg Catechism is a catechism and confession the Reformed Church history has used. And the question that is asked in question 81 is, who can come to the Lord's table? And the answer is, those who are displeased with themselves because of their own sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and our remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. And so it's extreme language as you wrap up, but Paul is saying the judgment of God will come on people who misrepresent him in time. I'm not saying when this is going to happen, but as I was just looking back, I was thinking about other examples. So like in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira came up and wanted to give money to the church, and they were lying and manipulating and misrepresenting their gift. They'd get both struck down dead. Later on in Acts, you have Herod who's claiming to be God and receiving the worship of God. God strikes him down and he dies. Verse uh, Acts 13, Elimus, the sorcerer, is blinded by God. And so there's this God is loving and he is just and holy simultaneously. He's both of those things. And we have to take that to heart, especially when it comes to representing the, the gender that God gave us at our birth and when we come into public worship to join with other people that we're representing who God is and how we're to relate to one another. So good stuff, you guys. Powerful. We knew it was going to be a big one. Emotional <laughs> podcast. This is really good. Well, thank you for taking time to, to listen and unpack the scriptures for yourself. I know the last couple ones have been a little heavy at 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11, but yeah. our prayer is that this would just give clarity. God's not the author of confusion. And it's actually, when you read the Bible with other people and look at how the church has handled it throughout church history. Yeah. It makes sense. And so praying that you're blessed today, and we can't wait to start talking to you about the spiritual gifts tomorrow. See you then. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.